The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. You're listening to the Bleacher Connection, a part of the Belly Up Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Ken and Trevor. And welcome to the show, everyone. Trevor, it's a uh, it's another lovely Sunday. It's a it's a balmy zero degrees here in Edmonton. I don't know what you've got in uh, Airdrie, but I am not loving the warmer temperatures right now as everything is melting, and uh, I prefer to just stay cold and melt at one time. In the yeah, spring. you're nuts. You're yeah. nuts. <laughs> we're we're going on about two weeks of pretty above zero weather, pretty much. Uh, <clears throat> the skating rinks that were the sidewalks and driveways are now clear. Thank goodness. Um, it's been nice for about two weeks. Looks like we're going to get one more good week. Um, I actually just saw my sister yesterday from uh, the Edmonton area, and she was saying that it's a little slick up there because you guys haven't quite got the real above zero, and that it's pretty slick up that way. And uh, she said it was nice coming down kind of our way because it's been above zero for about three weeks now. It was minus 5,000 for two weeks, and it hasn't been <laughs> below zero since. So, yeah, it's well, very that's, nice. That's why I like it, because you get that stupid point where it's warm enough to start melting, but also cold enough to keep it then freezing. And you do. You get those slick roads, slick sidewalks, everything. It's uh, it's not a lot of fun. It's not. And uh, I think today's going to be all a lot of talking about a whole not, lot, not a fun and a lot of well, for lack of a better term, uh, I, a complete shit show. I don't know what you're talking about. I am highly looking forward to today's episode. Oh, I know it's, you are. It's not every day I get to rip on one of my most hated rivals. And because let's let's call it a spade a spade. Your Vancouver Canucks are an absolute train wreck of an organization right now. And I don't think you would disagree with that very much. No, no. And we're we're devoting today's show. How can we not talk about what? the current state of affairs is with the Vancouver Canucks. Before we get into it, though, Ken, you got a chance. It was your birthday last weekend. You got a chance to hang out with Mama BleacherCon. How was that? Oh, it was it was great. It was a real nice weekend. She uh, she came out for the, the Thursday night, was here for three full days, and had to go home midday Monday. But it, it was nice. We, uh, it, we had a real good time just getting to visit and play some games and Played some wingspan with her. She played that last time she was out, so continued that. So it, it was good, and it, it was kind of nice. Just you know, I got older, but uh, I got to say this is probably the, the the one time I don't mind getting older because there's a lot of great things coming very soon for my my wife and I with our our baby being due in April, and it, it was kind of nice because we got to do some baby related things with my mom and her being living in in the lower mainland in, in bc she doesn't get to do that very often when my wife's mom was out and the mother-in-law was here we did the same with her so that kind of be part of the the process so it was nice doing that with my mom uh last weekend and getting to go see some of those things and see how excited she is for what will very quickly be her second grandchild because my, my brother and sister-in-law are six weeks ahead of us so it's a very exciting time for for us, for for my mom, for my brother and sister-in-law, it's just really exciting time. We're all looking forward to it. And it's coming up uh, very quick. It's, it's Time is moving very fast. 
So, <laughs> yes, yeah. your life will never be the same. <laughs> and for our listeners out there, uh, you know, by sheer coincidence, both Ken and I are repping our alma mater today, the University of Lethbridge Pronghorns. We both got our uh, UofL Pronghorns hoodie on. Go Horns! Yeah, that's right. Go Horns. And there, there was no coordination of that. It was just <laughs> no coordination. <laughs> You know, pure pure chance but yeah that, that was a gift i got from from my wife and she knew i'd been looking at it for a while because i really i really like that one and um i got uh i got the office lego set as well from from my mom and and that and it uh, uh that was you fine ignored your, you ignored your wife for two days while you put it together so no five there. hours five straight hours <laughs> i sat at the kitchen table and i put that bad boy together and man the detail in that thing is just it's amazing like the the Packard turd is was included and is under Michael's desk and it uh, the level of detail that went into that set is incredible and I, I really enjoyed putting it together and every now and then we'll change up the scene a little bit and move people around but it's uh it's pretty cool but it, it, it was a good visit and had lots of fun and it uh, it's always nice when you get to see the family so lots of plans Absolutely. coming up to to see more family and do things so it's uh it's gonna be a busy time in the next few months yeah absolutely now let's i gotta clarify something on this lego set now was it lego lego or was it the knockoff blocko lego that have the pieces that are double the size that took you five uh, hours no 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 was this it, is was it children's lego or or was it adults <laughs> lego this, this was adult <laughs> lego lego and okay. uh, when it comes with 174 page instruction booklet on how to put it together and uh and 10 bags of Lego pieces. I, I will say that was nice having it, you know, individually bagged by area so that you're not trying to dig through, what was it uh, 1,194 pieces to find that little, you know, clear pyramid top for one of the awards on Michael's desks. Yeah. It, uh, it was kind of nice that it came set up that way. Yeah. Well, I'm going to fast forward your life about five years and that's all you're going to have in your house here very shortly is, Lego and empty Lego packets and Lego boxes and Lego sets and half put together and half broken. And, and that is your life in about five years. So it, it's good that you got to practice it. Now I would highly suggest keep practicing it because <laughs> that is all you're going to do in, in about five or six years. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. The, you're never too old for Lego. That's for sure. Absolutely not. Absolutely the, not. The price can make you too old for Lego. Uh, cool. that, that's for damn sure. Yeah. That's what grandparents are for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it, that Lego store is uh, is something else. You, you either take out a second mortgage or you need to win Lotto Max to to get some Ooh. of that stuff there. It's uh, it's insane. It, it, yeah. It's unbelievable how expensive little pieces of plastics that click together are. Like it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, And uh, shout out to the to the bank accounts of the people that can afford the. Uh, lego death star now that's such it's yeah i can't <laughs> no <laughs> you can look at it and dream one day you know when i win lotto max i'm gonna get that uh five by five death star for eight thousand dollars i keep waiting for our buddy jeff to buy it so uh because he's like the biggest star wars fan out there the face of the earth actually he's got the full uh stormtrooper outfit in the 401 i keep waiting for him to buy it and yeah, yeah. it's over so we can all assemble it together <laughs> jeff <laughs> That's a yeah. big hint. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, buy the damn set. <laughs> yeah, no more hinting. Buy the goddamn yeah. set. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lego's great. It was uh, 
you can spend a lot of money in that store real quick. That's for sure. Oh, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. But Ken, I can't wait any longer. Let's get into this. <laughs> All right. Well, t- today's show, Trevor, we kind of, you kind of talked about it. There's no other really way to do this. This whole episode is going to be an Are You Kidding Me? slash Around the Boards because it's going to be hockey talk and it's a whole lot of Are You Kidding Me? on how this went down. But first of all, today's show brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped.com and use the code BELLYUPFANTASY for 20% off. Well, Trevor, as uh, well, pretty much 23 minutes ago, 22 minutes ago, the worst kept secret in the NHL finally is done and out and announced. Yeah, in not so breaking news. Yeah, um, and quite unfairly, I will say as a Canucks fan, uh, Bruce Boudreaux has been relieved of his duties and Rick Tockett. Or sorry, Bruce Boudreaux and Trent Cull have been relieved of their duties as head coach and assistant coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Replacing him, again, with no surprise at all, is Rick Tockett as head coach. And with him is coming in Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar. Foote's going to serve as an assistant. Gonchar is going to be a defensive development coach. You should probably now, hire three or four more of those. Yeah, well, I mean, they had Brad Shaw last year and they let him go to explore other opportunities because there was a lot of people looking at him possibly for a head coaching job. So fair enough in letting the guy see what he can do as a head coach if he got that opportunity. But as a Canucks fan, what really doesn't sit right with me is how this entire process played out. Now, coaches have been fired for decades in the pro sports it, it it happens all the time but i don't recall any point in my lifetime one being played out so publicly in the media uh whether it be in sports media social media everything it just has it's been brutal and it kind of goes back to the off season when rutherford president of hockey ops for the Canucks said, I didn't realize Jim had another year on his deal. I had an option for his deal. And that right there, he said, well, we'll, we'll honor it mainly because he didn't want Bruce to, you know, take that option and then have to pay him for a year to not coach and then pay a third coach, which well, hell they're doing now for half a season. They're going to pay three coaches. Um, and it kind of got ugly from there. It, it, there always seemed to be something going on after that with Rutherford and how the Canucks were handling it. And it, it started after training camp with Rutherford questioning the camp, questioning the how it was going and the effort level and, and so on and so on. And then it went into the season and he continued questioning it, calling it a country club and just not a lot of effort. There's no structure. And, and, and that led to the media jumping all over it. And you got questions, obviously, because that's that's their job. They're going to hear the president of the hockey ops say something, and then they're going to go straight to the coach who he's questioning and ask him about it. And that went on for a good portion of the first half of the season, and it kind of went away. Until about, what, two, three weeks ago, when 
it really started to get louder again, how Bruce was out. Bruce was going to be done and talk. is the guy who's coming in and it just, it, it just snowballed from there until you had this avalanche of hourly updates of is Bruce getting fired today? Is Bruce getting fired today? Hey, Bruce, you still got a job today. Hey, you're here. Good for you. Um, really piss poor handling of this entire situation. And I, I really want to call out Jim Rutherford specifically on this because he made a big point last year when he came in that there was too many leaks in the organization and that was going to stop. No more leaks. We're not going to have leaks. And part of why Rachel Dory and, and the Canucks went their ways apparently was because they thought she was leaking some information. And he, they didn't like that. I, I mean, that's speculation. Don't take that as I know anything. But there was a lot of smoke around that. And and this this year, like, it just seems the Canucks have more leaks than, than the Titanic. Everything has been played out in the media to the, the point where... Off the ice. Well, yeah. And <laughs> it goes back to, like, a week. And I don't know that Kevin Bieksa was calling out Friedman specifically last night or just because... They're on the same show together and they work together. He was using them as an example. But Kevin BX said, well, this is going like this is really no different than how it kind of saying like how it's being played out. If this was in the back, like there was no leaks. He didn't know about it. This is exactly how it would go. Behind closed doors. But you had Elliot Friedman reported a week ago that talk it was in. Bruce is out. This is what's happening. And we've all known for a week. And now we're just waiting for that shoe to drop. You know, Darren Drager was reporting it a, like a week ago as well. Every insider, even Michael Russo this morning was reporting that Bruce Boudreaux was having his exit interview, is firing at 9.30 this morning. Did we really need that update? Like, I know these guys, their whole job is about getting clicks, getting paid subscribers, getting people on their their channels, their their subscription list, whatever, to make money for their, for their employer. But at so, a certain point in time, there's absolutely no concern for a human being in Bruce Boudreaux, who I've never seen a fan base fall in love with so much as the Vancouver Canucks fan base did. They were chanting, they would chant Bruce, there it is. At any point in time in the game, because they, they loved him so much. He didn't like it because he didn't want it to be about him, but you could see the fans loved him. The players liked playing for him. And I think it's just a really shitty situation. And I don't like how it went down. And I'm actually very disappointed and pissed off at the team that I call my favorite team. I, I It's disappointing, like very upsetting. I want to jump in on one of those last points you just brought up, and that's the human element of this. Bruce Boudreaux is a well-respected figure around the NHL. Has always has been, always will be. He's one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. There was no regard from the team from the media, from the outside media of his well-being. They, and you, you already alluded to this, they grilled him day in, day out. They grilled him. They, oh, you're still here, are you? Oh, what do you think of yourself getting fired? Hey, Bruce, what's your take on Rick talking? Like, it, it was almost that bad. It was. It was that. They did ask him about talking. It was talking. that bad. Like, they, I, there was no regard for one of the most respected people in hockey. And it culminated in one of the most egregious and terrible things I've ever seen 
in regards to a head coach in the loss to the Edmonton Oilers, the game's ending and you have Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux crying, crying on the bench before he leaves to go down the hall, the tunnel, back to the dressing room because he knows it's it. That's it. He's got the fans chanting, Bruce, there it is. The fans love the guy. Yet he's standing there crying. How did the Vancouver Canucks ever let it come to this? It's a disgrace. It's unbelievable, the mismanagement of this. If you knew it was going to be Rick Tockett two weeks ago, why didn't you do it two weeks ago? Why didn't you just run with with uh, an interim head coach for those two weeks? I'm pretty sure the interim head coach would have known, too, that Rick Tockett was coming in. That's what I couldn't figure out. Why didn't you run without a head coach for two weeks? If you were that dead set on getting rid of Bruce Boudreaux, why the did you hold on to him for two weeks to make him have to go through this? It's not like you're in a playoff race. The Vancouver Canucks are 14 points back of the second wild card. You're 18 points back of third place in your division. You're done. You're done. You have been for a month. So why, why are you dragging this out publicly in the media with a well-respected head coach and now and an assistant coach gets dragged into it too. Like just such piss poor human element, like the human side of this, it was so poorly managed. I, the Canucks are a laughing stock. They literally are a laughing stock right now around the NHL. They were a laughing stock last year when they were trying to get rid of Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux got them back to respectability and then fell off a cliff. I It's unbelievable. And then you got the whole Rachel Dory stuff going on. You got the sexual abuse allegations going on. You've got, like, I don't know. The Aquilinis need to sell this team. Uh, and like, it, it, there's something not right. They're, they're the, to steal a phrase from Bob Nicholson, there's something in the water in Vancouver. Like, I don't get it. Well, that's Mike Yao and, and uh, Jason King were not let go yet. They, that, that might still happen, but they weren't let go. So Mike Yao, poorly or not, was a head coach in the NHL. If he, if you knew he wasn't going to let go, be let go right away, why, as you say, why didn't you just let him run the team as interim head coach exactly. until that time that talk it was done at TNT and let him take over? Right. And you talk about how he came like Bruce came in last season and turned it around and almost got them in the playoffs after just an absolute shit performance in the first 25 games. The guy had him playing at over a hundred point pace. Bruce Boudreaux's overall record with the Canucks. Now this is an NHL over 500 is 50, 40 and 13. He was the head coach for 103 games and got points out of 63 of them 50 of those were wins like he didn't have a losing record he got more that's points. a 600 600 points percentage he, he had that team playing right? at for his 100 games and you can like it's hard to explain like and this kind of goes to like you talk about like the defense i mean they fought they brought in ethan barrett i think that's a was a good move and that was you know a, a step up on the defense that was there but Rutherford and Alvin did nothing to improve 
the defense going into this season. I've always said, and I, I don't have issue with what they did with the pieces they did bring in. I thought they were good moves. And but they didn't do anything with the defense, right? Like, so you can bring in all the offense you want, but if you didn't fix one of the big problems last year, then that's on you as the president of hockey ops. And I'm going to say it, Alvin's a puppet GM. I don't understand why Rutherford just doesn't have both titles because I don't think Alvin does anything. I don't think Alvin wipes his own ass without Rutherford's permission because Rutherford has his hands in everything and won't, give up for like he talked about having a GM search, but then hired his, his friend out of uh, Pittsburgh right away. And he hadn't been a GM before he'd been an assistant GM before. And again, they all have different roles. So he may have done negotiations or trades, whatever, but they did, they own part of how this season has gone for the Canucks because they didn't improve a big area of need. Yes, they brought in Kuzmenko, who's probably going to be a 20-plus, possibly 30-goal scorer this season. Great. They improved the speed with Mikheyev. Okay. They they got, you know, a little more grit on the back end, got a little bit tougher on the fourth line. Sure. But they didn't fix one of their glaring problems, and that's on them. And how that the team performed so well last year was essentially the same pretty much pretty close to the same defense and a little tweak in the forward. You lost Brad Shaw as your defensive coach. The team fell off a cliff and went back to the Travis Green style of play, not the Bruce Boudreaux of the last, you know, 650 whatever games that he was there in charge. And it has to be because Rutherford publicly calling out the coach constantly. How are they going to feel about their coach who they love playing for? Constantly being called out, constantly on the block because if the team doesn't perform, oh, well, it's Bruce's system, it's Bruce's this, it's Bruce's fault. You could see last night, the players didn't just get get up on the bench and walk down the, the tunnel. They all came out on the ice, kind of did a little skate, gave Bruce the time on the bench by himself. JT Miller, who, you know, you can talk about, his lack of effort and everything like that for a lot of part of the season. And the last little bit here, the JT Miller haters have been quiet because he's been one of the first guys on the back check. He sold out and blocked a shot on an empty net attempt the other night, I think against Colorado. He's, he's done. <laughs> yeah. But he's, you can see as the noise around Bruce has gotten louder, his attempt to do more of what he wasn't doing He's been that guy who's been the first back to cover for Tyler Myers, who shouldn't have been pinching, but is. He was sitting right in front of Bruce, and he, just the look of, like, he looked numb to what was going on. He just looked numb, and he sat there for about 10 seconds, got up, and just slowly went on the ice. Like, the players... This had to have affected them all season long. And now they're going to have to come into a new coach who they've been being questioned about for how long. And like someone in the media asked Elias Pedersen on Friday night about a question about, you know, with everything going on and, you know, uh, they asked him a question about Bruce and it was just a really question that they shouldn't have asked. 
And and like you just look, Elias Pedersen has a look that he gives to reporters sometimes when they ask something really dumb. And he just glared at the reporter when they asked this question about what are your thoughts on what's going going on with Bruce? And he just glared at him and just said, next question. Like that is completely unfair to ask a player, hey, how do you feel about the way that your organization, the way that your bosses have treated your coach? What do you expect them to say? Tyler Myers said it in a very somewhat diplomatic way that it's been tough on the guys and we just kind of, it's a, it does affect us. We, we like Bruce. They have all said they like playing for him. But what do you expect the, te- the players to say? Yeah, we think that what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin is real, doing is a really shitty thing. And good God, like, what are they thinking? What are they trying to get themselves kicked, like, sent out of town? Maybe if they wanted to, they would say that. But maybe. <laughs> it's just, you can, you got to feel for the players because the questions still aren't going to stop. Now that talk it's in there, there's just a new line of questions that are going to be coming in. And, and I want to go back to the Friday presser when Bruce was being interviewed before, because he wasn't on the ice at the morning's optional skate. And he got emotional. Like when someone asked, are you going to take these next two games in? Because everyone knew that today or Monday he was fired. And he started to get emotional. He said, I'll talk to you guys later. And you could hear, and someone called it out. It was Thomas Trance laughed as Bruce started to cry and walked away. And for the majority of time until like later in the afternoon last night, they finally cut the audio before you heard the laugh. He, he, Thomas Drance has been one of the, he covers the team, but he's like captain negativity. Nothing the team ever, like, even if they were on a 15 game heater winning streak, he'd still find something negative to pull him apart on. I like that was so disrespectful. And he, Better have apologized for that. There was nothing I've seen that he said, hey, yeah. He, well, it's just like, oh, I thought there was a change in tone. And it was going to go a different way. Like, when you see a grown man crying because he's going to lose his job, you really think the tone's going to change to a joking way? Piss off. Like, that was just so disrespectful. I want to rewind back to your talk about JT Miller. And you know what I think of JT Miller. And here's my rebuttal to you. You're saying that maybe he was trying to maybe start playing to save Boudreaux's job. I think he was just trying to save face because he has been not very good this year. A lot of one of the reasons Bruce Boudreaux is getting fired is because of JT Miller's play. JT Miller's been lazy. He's been making, you know, very bad plays all year. He's been quite vocal, you know, smashing sticks on the net, yelling at goalies. We saw it in the game against the Oilers where he, smashed his stick after the 4-2, I think it was the 4-2 empty net goal, put his head down. I think it's all for show. I think he's trying to save face because he has been so poor this year. And maybe he's trying to get back in the good graces of the Canucks fans. But I don't buy it for one second. I think JT Miller is one of the reasons why this team is where they are. You re-sign JT Miller over your captain, Bo Horvat. I, I don't think that was a popular move with Canucks fans with in the Canucks dressing room. And I would say JT Miller's a bad player. I just don't think that was the right move. You pretty much said to your heart and soul captain, well, I just don't know if there's enough money for you here, but there's enough money for JT Miller. Like it just, he wasn't, 
he was lazy last year. Like I can remember, I remember a specific one well, the Flames and the Canucks, a one nothing game in overtime that Johnny Goudreau scores in overtime on a three on one rush because JT Miller sulking in the corner because he may have got booked on a scoring chance. It didn't get called, so it wasn't a penalty. Probably was, but it doesn't matter. He still sulked in the corner. Letting the flames come up the ice and win the game like that—that that is JT Miller. That's not a leader. That's not a, a, a guy you potentially want to build your franchise around. Yet you went and said JT Miller is more important than our captain. Like, and, and that's not JT Miller's fault. That's that's management's fault. Like, there's just—and I said this to you the other day. We were just shooting the shit. I said I think there's an internal rift in the dressing room around JT Miller. I don't want to say he's a terrible teammate. I just think the circumstances around it, there's this rift, and I think it's causing animosity. And there's clearly a problem in the Vancouver Canucks dressing room. Well, because there's too much talent on that team to be as shitty as they are. They're horrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're horrible. Well, and to that point, like with the players and JT, like you said, it's not the players and JT Miller can't control who the Canucks decide to offer a contract to first. And it's quite possible that the Canucks went and looked and went, well, shit, JT Miller just put up 99 points this year. And he's been trending up on his the number of points he gets in a season. If we wait until next year and he's on a 115-point pace season, well, the price tag goes up. Bo just put up a, a career year at 61 points or whatever, 31 goals and you know what, whatever he ended the season with. And that was a career year, but it was also like damn near 40 points less than JT Miller. Right. I it could have been a calculated, and I'm not saying that signing JT Miller is the right choice, but you also got to look at the team's got to look at it, and then the players have got to it's like, are you is JT Miller supposed to go, hey guys, sign Bo first, then come to me? Like if they come to his agent and say, Hey, we want to talk numbers with you right now, right? Of course they're going to he's, he's not, yeah. of course, right? Like that, and so to me, that's I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, like, to me, that's really as a team, if a team can't handle that side of the business, that players don't choose when contracts get offered, then they're soft. Right. And like, that's just a general statement for any player that if you are upset that player a gets offered a contract before player B, and it may have been a, we're going to hedge our bets and hope JT Miller doesn't put up 120 next year. And we have to pay, you know, offer him potentially two more million dollars or he walks. And then we're idiots for letting him 120 point player. Like, I'd like to think there's some rhyme or reason to how they did things, right? You and I have talked before, and even Rutherford said, we offered Bo, Bo Horvat a contract for what he's done over his career. He's looking for a contract for what he's doing this year, right? And like you use the analogy of a promotion, but if you're going from a supervisor to a manager and expecting to get paid like a director or CEO, that's a big gap, right? Like that, to me, like they had to, I think they looked at it and went, okay, Bo, Yes, had a career year, but that's a 61-point year or whatever it was. JT had a career year at 99 points, and he's been trending upwards. I think they made a, a calculated risk in signing Miller first so that they didn't potentially have to pay him more or trade a guy they didn't want to trade. And I want to I want to rewind the clock, go back to last year. There was last year before he even signed the extension. There was last year during the season. They were talking about trading – JT Miller because they weren't convinced that they wanted JT Miller around long term. They weren't convinced that 
he was, you know, they, they were more potentially impressed with the package they were going to get back for JT Miller. There was so much talk last season. That, that was about media moving talk. on. Yeah, but there's where there's smoke, there's fire. There, there was talk last year about potentially moving on from JT Miller. And then it, it feels like they did a complete 180 and like signed him when it was almost clear as day that maybe they should have moved on from him. And I understand re-signing him. The guy put up 100 points. I, I get that. Trust me, my team just lost 200-point players. I know all about losing 100-point players and not getting them re-signed. It sucks. But it just felt like even there was these war, there's these warning signs and red flags in his play last year of not giving 100% effort, not, you know, not showing up every night. And, and then you went and, and I'm not blaming JT Miller. I'm blaming management. Management prioritized re-signing the guy with red flags over your captain. That's that. I, that's where I really think this really started to go off the rails. You know, outside of the Oliver Ekman Larson trade, that <laughs> that was the on ice issues that, that really started to go off the rails. But I, I think prioritizing JT Miller over Bo Horvat is where it started to really, really, really actually affect the team. And there was a rift as a result. JT Miller didn't do anything wrong. I am well, by no I'll, means saying that. If they came to me and said, hey, Trevor, we're going to sign you ahead of Ken. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but it's like yeah. JT Miller it, didn't do anything wrong. Management did. And this well, is. I, I would think that was advocate whole, on that, though. The whole point of this, though, is the management of your team. This whole show and episode is the management of the Vancouver Canucks right now. Is laughable at best, and yeah. I think that's a just a prime example of it. Well, uh, for in this case, I'll play devil's advocate because they could have gone to Horvath's uh, agent and his team and said, "Hey, let's talk numbers, let's talk deal," and they could have gone, "You know what? Let's pump the brakes right now. Bo just had a career year. Let's talk next season. Let's see how next season goes, and then we'll start talking." Because that could very well, if they say we're not talking right now, they're going to say they're not going to talk right now. If they thought that they could improve on that career year again, then they could figure they could probably move the needle on that paycheck. So very well, the Canucks may have tried. We I we don't know, right? Like again, tight lip Jim Rutherford isn't going to put anything out in the media. And listening to Vancouver Canucks coverage and following it on social media for as long as I have, they're trying to trade everyone. At a certain point in time, they're tr- all they talk about is moving players out. I can tell you honestly, there's there's been conversations about wanting Pedersen moved at certain points, move Hughes so that you can get a big package, move Demko, move whoever. It doesn't matter who they are. Someone in the media and or fans is having that conversation on air with someone, and that is what is fueling those talks. It's not that like you'd be stupid to try and trade a Hughes, Pedersen, or Demko. Right, but those conversations sure. happen. Yeah, you do because you don't like them scoring on you and beating you at times. But those conversations happen, and that's it's not that you know the team had come out and said like we're not looking to trade JT. Obviously, if someone comes and offers them the world for JT Miller, are you gonna listen and go long term? What's better? Sure, they'd listen on anyone. Doesn't mean they're actively making phone calls like they are with Bo right now, saying, "Hey, give us your offer." That's the difference. I think is a lot of it. Once the media got that ball rolling and continued to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, 
the team had to address it. And if I remember correctly, they did say, well, we want to sign. We never said we wanted to trade him. If someone wants to give us an offer, so we'll take a call, but it doesn't mean we're going to go through with it. And I think that's the difference there is the media. I mean, not changing subjects and teams here, but how long did Eric Francis try and trade Johnny Goudreau in Calgary before he became a free agent? How long did he talk about that? Right. Yeah. In, in the that's, end, that's clickbait media and, and that's every team has it. Exactly. And that's, but in the end, I mean, for all you Calgary Flames fans that might be listening to this point of a Canucks episode, Eric Francis was right. Um, just let that sit there in your, in your mind for a minute. Um, going back to the whole management thing, one thing Rutherford said when he came in, he set expectations with ownership that if he's coming in, he has final say. There won't be any ownership meddling. Now, this whole Bruce Boudreaux situation yeah. is 1,000% at the feet of Francisco Aquilini and ownership because they wanted to fire Benning. They wanted to fire Green, and they are, they had Rutherford lined up. But Rutherford needed like a week or two before he could accept the job. So what did ownership do? Did they fire Travis Green and have an interim head coach? Did they just fire Benning and let Green stay on for a week or two weeks and let Rutherford come in and figure out who he wanted to have as coach? No. Aquilini heard the noise from the Canucks fans. He clearly wasn't happy with what he was getting back from his organization on ice and in the, you know, obviously piss poor on ice performance means piss poor sales and tickets and merchandise and sponsorship. So he fired Benning and green and hired Boudreaux on his own. That was an ownership hire. And I don't, I, I said it was a great hire from the beginning. Bruce Boudreaux, I said to you was the kind of guy that should come in before they fired green. And before they, they made that announcement, I said a Bruce Boudreaux type is the guy that the Canucks need. And ownership made that move. And then Rutherford, Rutherford, and then Alvin came in. But then he wasn't their coach. If Aquilini wanted to make that move ahead of time and knew he had to wait a week for Rutherford, he should have said, okay, Jimmy, who do you want me to go out to and be your coach? And I'll get the ball rolling on that. And then we don't have the situation we are in today. But again, he says, I'm not going to let ownership meddle. I've got final say. If I'm hockey president, it's my show. Well, you had, I can't remember whether it was Chris Johnson reporting that there's ownership meddling in this process. And that's why Bruce hasn't been fired yet. Um, there's this, there's that. There's And then you got other people saying, no, no, no. Ownership isn't meddling. Ownership has given the green light for Jim Rutherford to do what he needs to do. Again, all this misinformation on what is actually happening and i don't doubt for a second that ownership is getting their paws in it because that's all they've done trevor go back to the days and again an unfair question that trevor linden received the other day when he was on donnie and uh dolly wall was that don taylor asked him flat out he goes would the canucks be in a better position if you were still president and Trevor just kind of Lyndon laughed, laughed it off he said that that's an unfair question donnie he's like, i can't answer that i'm not going to answer that one because this goes back to when it was pre Mike Gill or post Mike Gillis, 
who traded the, the world away of prospects and draft picks to try and win in 2011. And then Benning came and in. And an extra second rounder. <laughs> <laughs> and then Benning came in as GM and Lyndon was brought in as team president. Lyndon had a view of how the rebuild, retool, whatever you want to call it, to turn the Canucks around after their years of being a good team and then the decline, because that happens, he had a plan. But that plan took time. And he had gone to other teams and other executives and say, hey, how did you do this? How did you get through? And he built a plan off of what other people had done that was successful. But it meant there's going to be times where it's not so sunny. And ownership and Benning worked behind Lyndon's back to the point where Lyndon and the team went, okay, let's just part ways. You're talking about a Canuck legend. He's still a Canuck legend. Trevor Lyndon is still loved by Canuck fans in the city of Vancouver, but you turned away probably what you consider a lifetime Canuck and made him walk away because you couldn't be patient. So I fully believe that there's ownership meddling in this 100%. I don't disagree with anything. It started with Trevor Lyndon and it's been, there's been just peculiar circumstances around a lot of people leaving that organization in the last half decade let's say it's just something's not right there and it's it it's odd it really really is odd and they, they actually said this on uh calgary radio the other day and i think they're right that the bubble playoff run was bad for the vancouver canucks it really really was because all of a sudden ownership management got this unrealistic viewpoint of what the Vancouver Canucks were. I said it to you during the run. I said, there's one reason you guys are going on this run. It, Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom stood on their heads. You guys were getting, uh, you were getting outplayed thoroughly and thoroughly like the Vegas Golden Knights. That should have been a four game series. Like they were all over you guys every game and the, the goalies stood on their head. It, that set the Vancouver Canucks back because then they thought we're a contender. We're a contender. Let's go and bring in these pieces. Let's bring in the JT Millers of the world and try to get over the top. But it's like, but didn't do anything on the back end, which I could never figure that one out. Yeah. (laughs) That's like the, that's the Edmonton Oilers school of building a team. Like I just, I could never figure that one out, but I want to, I want to not look back. Let's look forward. Rick Tockett is now the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Under very interesting circumstances, Rick Tockett is now the coach of the Vancouver Canucks. What is the end game for the Canucks now? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the on-ice performance most likely isn't going to be any different. It's it's not Bruce Boudreaux's fault that his team is last in save percentage in the NHL. That's why the Vancouver Canucks are where they are. They're last in the save percentage in the NHL, whether it's Thatcher Demko or Spencer Martin or Colin Delia, you have the worst goaltending in the National Hockey League. Rick Tockett isn't going to change that. You have a subpar defensive core. Quinn Hughes is an absolute superstar. Outside of that, it's average. Rick Tockett isn't going to change that. You have a captain who can't wait to get out of town. You have Brock Besser, who's fallen off a cliff and getting paid $6.5 million to do so. I don't think Rick Tockett's going to fix that. This is 
what I don't understand. Where do they go from here? Everybody's talking about trading Andre Kuzmenko. Well, you've have you gone and found a twenty-six-year-old diamond in the rough who's going to put up eighty points and now trade him? I don't know. Yeah, no. If you're if you're if you're if you're not going to re-sign Bo Horvat, then maybe you probably should re-sign Andre Kuzmenko. Absolutely. I d- I don't know what the end game for the Canucks is here, and why why did they have to get rid of Bruce Boudreaux? Because until you actually start addressing the on ice issues, nothing's going to change. Yeah. Bruce Boudreaux so, actually got more out of a lot of these players than Travis Green did. And that's what why they loved him. That, exactly. That's why the fans loved him. It's why the players loved him. It's why they played to a hundred point pace last year when he came in. I don't see that happening with Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett is, does not have a history of successful NHL coaching. I just, I don't understand why Rick Tockett and what are you expecting to change? So I'll, I'll, I want to throw this in because I mean, should have, I should have thrown this in earlier too. I also feel a little potentially bad for Rick Tockett because he's already yeah. getting so much hate on Canucks Twitter. It's not his fault. Again, the guy was an NHL head coach previously. I'm sure that's what he wanted to be since the day he left Arizona. You talk about the lack of success. I mean, he was there. He was in Arizona, and he did get them to the playoffs at least one time, and uh, through the first round. Luck, behold, that whatever. But (laughs) (laughs) he did what he could with Arizona. I feel bad for him because he's coming into a shit situation where the people already are slinging mud at him. It's not. What is he going to turn it to? Hey, guys, no, I don't. I want to be a head coach, but oh, it's a little awkward. He's going to take the fucking job because that's the job he wants, and. It's not his fault how this went down at all. I feel bad for him. And I'm sure the players are going to come in and they're going to play for him because he's their coach. And again, I'm pretty sure they're all smart enough to realize this isn't his doing. I don't think he called up Jimmy Rutherford one day and said, hey, Jim, Rick here. Why don't you throw out a lot of shit about Bruce Boudreaux in the media? Then you bring me in. I'll be your white knight this year. I highly doubt that's how it went down. The guy's not going to turn a job down. I don't know. It is the Vancouver Canucks. It very well may have gone down that way. I'm going to side on that. It, you know, that's a little bit fan, a little bit fantasy <laughs> world there. You know, I was going to say it didn't, but I'm going to leave that as fantasy. I feel bad for him in that sense, right? Like I no do way. Too. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm throwing shade at Rick Tockett that he's a shitty NHL coach. I'm throwing shade at the situation that. Uh, yeah. What, what, what do you expect to like? What do you expect to change? So and, I could be the coach of the Vancouver Canucks at this point, and probably not change much. It's yeah. There's there's something rotten, either in the dressing room, in management, in ownership, in everything. And until that is addressed, this is just going to be a hamster on a wheel. It really well, is. I'm I'm going to take it in a few different like in a, kind of a list of things I think is going to go down. And I think Kevin. You know, I've said it before. I like Kevin BX on Hockey Night in Canada. And I think he gave a great insight to how a coaching change happens. Because he was there, like, first year. In his first year, Crawford got fired at the end of the season. And then Elaine Vigneault came in. And what he did was he broke everyone down to see what was there. And then built them back up. And he got success out of the players. He got them going and things like that. But he had to break them down first and then bring them up. I don't know what Tockett's style is going to be. 
and whether he's going to do something similar or if he's going to come in and try and, you know, build off what the team can do. I don't know what he's going to do, but I don't think it's going to get any better this year. There's not going to be this big, I don't think there's going to be a coaching bump like we saw when Bruce came in, which lasted a good portion of the season. I don't know in that sense of how it's going to work, right? Um, I, I want to, I'm curious how it's going to work with OEL because OEL like, apparently was not a fan of talk it. And I know Rutherford wasn't a fan of the OEL trade when he came in, but that's, you know, what, what can he do about that? That was a Benning move, right? Or an ownership move. We don't know. He was here when he yeah, got, it's not it. like he signed for four more years after <laughs> this one either. So, so we'll see. Maybe OEL, maybe OEL retires. Who knows? But it's interesting. I, I don't know. I don't think the season's going to get any better. Will we see some kind of you've got Sergey Gonchar, who was a good defensive player in his in his playing days. So maybe he can come in and put a better because I don't even know who the hell was running the de- the defense on the Canucks this year. If it was Trent Cole, good God. But I, I hope that's why I mean if he's the if that's the reason why he's gone, good, because they had no defensive system this year. But Paul to me was an odd odd man in that situation because when he was in Abbotsford, that team was as the head coach. The team did not do well. Jeremy Colleton has that team playing heads and shoulders above where they were, and he was a bad coach with Chicago. And but he's doing something different. Maybe Gonchar has something that he can bring to the table. And Adam Foot, Adam Foot was a great defenseman too. So you've got two good NHL defenders now as assistant coaches. Maybe they can do something that can turn that defense around and talk. It can worry about the offense and things like that. I don't know, but I don't think it's going to get any better this season. And you want to talk about change. We we talked about this a little bit too. And Brotherford said this in the press conferences, the core we have, we like it. This team needs major surgery and not everyone that's in the core will remain. Now, whether that's just Bo Horvat leaving through trade or a, a Brock Besser as well, this core has, hasn't won yet. And I, before we move on to that part, and it was going to lead into a little bit of a different conversation. You talked about Kuzmenko. You absolutely resigned Kuzmenko. That guy, you've got, he's 20, like you said, 26 years old. He just scored his 19th goal or whatever. Like this guy is going to, he's going to continue. Like he's playing with Pedersen and that's finally a winger that Pedersen can play with and is really gelling with. So why would you get rid of him? And this is the thing with the Canucks fans. Like, oh, he's doing really good. You got to get rid of him. Get some young players. Get some of this. No, you sign a player like that, even to a bridge deal, to see what he can do. If it doesn't work out after two, three years, okay, say, see you later, we'll trade you. But you sign a guy like that, he chose you over like 25 other teams. He wanted to be a Canuck. So why would you throw that away? when he's performing at a very high level and doing very well through the first half of a shitty season, he's been a shining, you know, a shining star in a very dark days. But when you talk about the core, there does need to be changed because this core has not won. This core has not done much of anything. So outside of a handful of guys like Patterson, Demko, Hughes, obviously now Miller is almost untouchable, very difficult to trade. You aren't making, like, those guys are going to be here. And maybe you throw a Kuzmenko in there. Maybe he's a new piece to that core. But you do maybe look at moving some of the other pieces, like a Besser or and Horvat. Obviously, clearly, that's almost a done deal, too. 
because this core hasn't won. So why would you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different outcomes, right? Like you and I talked about it. Your core in Calgary didn't win either. And, and Goudreau and Kachuk moved on. They left. One through trade, one through the 11th hour UFA. But there's going to be time for that, that new core to come in which you guys did in Calgary with uh, Huberdeau and Kadri that need time to get gelling, but you got to make a change. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. So I think there is going to be changes to the core and I think it's, it's definitely needed. Yeah. And, and I said this to you when we were just chatting the other day, I said the Calgary flames last off season remind me a lot of where the Vancouver Canucks are this off season. You've got a, core that hasn't won and the flames had just come off winning the division and getting throttled in the playoffs again wasn't the first time that that core had gotten throttled in the playoffs you had a core that hadn't won that's what the vancouver cups are right now you had a fan base also like wanting change and this core hasn't won we have to change it up these guys aren't good enough like i, I rewind the clock three years and Everybody was already talking then about trading Monaghan and Goudreau and Kachuk and that core because they hadn't won and they weren't going to win. The Canucks are in a very similar spot right now. Here's how it played out in Calgary. They changed the core. Monaghan, Goudreau, Kachuk aren't there. They brought in a new core and the fans still aren't happy. They're complaining now about how could you get rid of Monaghan, Goudreau, and Kachuk? It's like, ah, so... You got kind of a very similar situation that's about to happen in Vancouver. You got a core that hasn't won. You got a core that clearly isn't good enough. Is the same thing going to happen where the fans are going to want their cake and eat it too? Where it's like they are going to make changes and then they're going to bitch about those changes. It's both the teams are were really in a no-win situation. I kind of the Canucks put themselves in this situation, but it is a rocky road ahead for that team. Because significant changes do need to happen. This isn't on the coach. This is no. not on a coach at all. I just said it. it's not the coach's fault. You have last place goaltending in the NHL. Maybe it's the goalie coach's fault. But this isn't on the coaches. This is on management. And here's another point we haven't talked about in this whole thing is, is it now going to be hard to get players to want to resign in Vancouver and to come to Vancouver? Because, and somebody tweeted out, I can't remember who it was, and they talked about the way you treat people in an organization matters and doesn't go unnoticed. And then they they brought up the point of it may be hard to get players, coaches, managers to want to come there because they know it's a shit show. And they know they might get treated poorly. It's almost like Vegas Golden Knights, no loyalty type scenario, like, is it now going to be hard to get players to go to Vancouver or to waive a no-trade clause in a Brock Besser or Bo Horvat deal? This might be harder than it looks because I put a lot of credence to the way you treat people matters, and the Vancouver Canucks treat people like garbage right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And I think – I mean, I think for the most part – I, I just don't understand how it got so public. Obviously, Rutherford's comments, right? But, I mean, we have seen 
GMs and presidents of the team be critical of the on-ice performance. I don't know that we've seen it be this critical uh, as of over time. And it could be very difficult. So I think the only upside sometimes is money talks. And if you're able to put as much money on the table as I'll make someone kind of look past some of that. Let me look that. at your cap situation. Oh, wait, you don't have any salary. Cap. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not great, but it's going to be tough. And I just don't get it. Like, you talk about the, the performance on ice, I think, has a lot to do with what management was doing all season long by calling out the team and calling out the coaches. And I think the team probably felt responsible for how, again, I'm spitballing. This is my take on it. But the team has got to feel some kind of responsibility. You've got to go out there each night holding the sticks a lot tighter to try and get a win because they feel bad for Bruce, right? You know, Demko had had surgery. Demko was hurt again. So, I mean, was he 100% coming into the season? Don't know. Uh, whatever magic well Spencer Martin was drinking, up, drinking out of to have that early magic, it's run dry. The guy It's like, gone sour. <laughs> like that, the the two games, the game he got pulled against Tampa, he gave up four goals. Maybe one of them wasn't one he should have saved. Last night, he gives up three in six shots to Edmonton. And like, yeah, McDavid on a breakaway, sure. But you let him slide along the ice five hole. You should have had that one. If it's a five hole along the ice, sorry, you should have had that one. Um, he's just not making the saves he was previously. Poor rebound control. And like Colin Dealey is doing what he can. The guy's a third string goaltender. Like, what do you expect? Um, but I think the team's performance has a lot to do with the, the mental side of what management was doing so publicly. And who knows what was going on behind closed doors? what they were saying in the hallways. Right. So I think, I, I don't know. It's a, it's going to be a long season, still almost like halfway to go, if not a little more. So I, I still watch all the games. It's, it's tough. I get pissed off. I, yay. When they score and they're down by three still. Um, I don't know. This season's going to be a long one. And, and you talk about the fans and though they're complaining about the changes to the core, this fan base is going to complain if they miss the playoffs and they're not dead last, like they want this team to be dead last. And they think being dead last is going to be a hundred percent. Yes. To getting the first overall pick, which is Connor Bedard. It's a 25% chance. Isn't it 20? I thought it was only 20. Yeah, it's, yeah, and like, it's, it's less like it's you're, you're pulling lotto balls for third, second and first overall. And your chances, regardless of where you are, are not great. How many times have you seen the, the team with the 14th best chance or the 10th best chance win the lottery. That means the, the shittiest team in the league goes from first overall to potentially third or fourth. Like that's how you can fall. It doesn't matter if you're the worst team in the league. It's all luck. So get over the Bedard dream Canucks fans. Cause I can tell you I'm 80% positive. It's not going to happen. I've actually 95% positive it's not going to happen because the Canucks are probably only going to have a 5% chance of winning so it's not going to happen and Connor Bedard is not going to step on the ice next season and save any franchise from finishing last again I'm sorry but 
if your team is that shitty, Connor Bedard is not going to turn it around overnight to make you a cup contender. All it's going to do is sell a few more jerseys and a handful more tickets and make the team richer than they already were. That's all it's going to do, folks. Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard is a great player. I don't know he's what a good he's going to do. In the yeah, I don't know what he's going to do in the NHL. But guess what, folks? Prospects don't always work out, regardless of how high they are ranked. So stop banking on an 18-year-old kid to save your franchise. I'm fairly confident Connor Bernard's going to be a good NHL player, but he's not going to turn it around immediately. Like no. and you can you can the best comparable is Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid is the best hockey player in the world by a mile. But even he hasn't really had any success in the NHL when it comes to winning and losing. His team's at least making the playoffs now on a consistent basis. That wasn't the case for the first half of his career. And he's no. still really yet to win anything. His Zero biggest cups. achievement, his biggest achievement is beating the Calgary Flames in the second round of the playoffs. That like at the end of the day, that's not great. And I'm not saying he's not going to win anything moving forward. And I just said this, he's a hell of a building block. But it doesn't guarantee you're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. It doesn't. And mm-hmm. would it be nice to have Connor McDonald, Connor McDavid on your team? Absolutely, it would be. But it doesn't guarantee anything. It really doesn't. The Edmonton Oilers have had, what, four or five first overall picks and have yet to win a Stanley Cup with any of those picks. It doesn't. And I'm not taking a shot at them. I'm trying to prove a point. It doesn't guarantee anything. Four and six years. You still have to build a championship caliber team around those players. And at this point in time, the Canucks are nowhere near that. They don't have a championship caliber defense core. They don't have a championship caliber goaltending. Maybe when Debra gets back and is healthy, maybe. They don't have championship caliber third and fourth liners. It's That's only one player. Now I'm looking at some of the stats right now of the Canucks, and you're talking about you know the on-ice performances here and things weighing on them. Here's something that's mind-boggling to me. Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes have a combined one power play goal this season. One! Elias Pettersson's a 40-goal scorer. He has zero. Zero power play goals. What's that? He's had two two callbacks. Poor guy. This is clearly weighing on them. What the, The whole situation in Vancouver is weighing on these players. And... I don't know that Rick Tockett's going to be able to change that. And that's not a slight on Rick Tockett. There is significant change needed here in some form or another. And this team is a long ways from contending. You and I both had this team making the playoffs coming into the season. We both thought that they were probably going to be the second, third, maybe fourth best team in the Pacific. They're not even close to that. Like they're not even the, the, the third best team in the worst division in hockey. And neither is my team. Like I'm not trying to throw shade at the Canucks against my team. They're not even close to that. So for those saying that Connor Bedard is the answer to everything, Connor Bedard isn't going to all of a sudden make you the best team in the worst division in hockey. <laughs> like there's just so many flaws with this team. And I don't know that it's a skill flaw. That's what I don't understand about the Vancouver Canucks. It's not a skill flaw. 
there's something else. There's more deep rooted, and maybe it is the Aquilinis. Maybe it is Rutherford. Maybe it was Boudreaux, and we're all wrong. Maybe Bruce Boudreaux was the problem, and Rick Tockett will fix it. But it's so, in my opinion, beyond repair right now that I, I can't come to a conclusion as to what the problem is. The only conclusion I can come to is they better damn well figure out what that problem is and root it out and start making changes. Maybe it is Bo Horvat and maybe, maybe he's terrible in the locker room and nobody will say it. Maybe. And I know nothing. I'm just spitballing. Maybe it is Bo Horvat. Maybe it is Brock Besser. Maybe it is Oliver Ekman Larson. Who knows, but they damn well better figure it out or this ain't going to change. You know, and I don't, I don't want to throw accusations or anything, but Bo Horvat did get called out after that Tampa game because Mikhail Servergachev absolutely, after the whistle, smoked Connor Garland in the face with one of the hardest glove punches. People have said this was some of the players who said that it was one of the hardest glove punch I've seen to a guy without a helmet on right in front of Bo Horvat. No call on the ice. There was no penalty call. It was right in front of the referee. Absolute, just a straight-up punch to the head. Bo Horvat was right there and didn't do anything. Now, if you see a guy, whether he's going to get a penalty or not, as the, the captain, like people were really disappointed in the fact that the captain who's right there watching one of his teammates, line mates, get smoked in the head not in it's like Connor Garland was just standing up from a, the scrum, getting knocked down and coming back up without his helmet on. I guess smoked. Bull Horvat does nothing. And at the end of the game was, well, I kind of wish I did something now because I thought there was a penalty coming. So I, I didn't want to even it up. I've seen teams take themselves off of that power play because the guy gets drilled from behind or punched in the head. And their the other team is, yes, going to go, it's going to take a penalty. You're going to be on the power play. But they stick up for their teammate. And Bo Horvat didn't do that. And I wonder if that is something that kind of goes to like, you know, there's credence what you, you know, some of what you say there about like whether he is a good leader or not. I don't know, but it kind of was like people were really calling him out for that. And it's like, as the captain, you should be setting an example. Like we're not going to take this shit. If you hit one of our guys like that with a cheap shot after the whistle with no, with no bucket on, then we're going to come at you too. And we don't care that we're going to be four on four. It, to me, that was like, okay, well, maybe there's like, what kind of leadership are you showing if you're just going to let someone get smoked in the head standing three feet right in, beside it? Like, I just feel like a lot of the players on the Canucks have checked out this season because of what's going on, and they're okay. not giving max effort. They're, they don't care. Elias Pedersen, no power play goals. Like, you know, has he checked out? Quinn Hughes as he 54 out, points like, in 44 games. I don't think his 200 foot Pedersen. Absolutely not. I think the guy's got 13 power play assists, a shorthanded uh, assist. I, he plays 200 feet hard every game. I would not say Pedersen is checked out at all. I'm not saying he's yeah. checked out. I'm just saying, is it weighing on these guys? Oh, and is absolutely. it causing them to, is it causing them to get to a point where they are going to get checked out? Yeah, and it, I think it, there's lots of players like Elias Pettersson's having a good season. He's got 54 points in 44 games. He's having a good season. He's plus eight on a shitty. But team. I, I just, I just, it's so shocking to me that a guy who's scores so effortlessly hasn't scored on the power play. And maybe it's a power play coach problem. Maybe they solved yeah. it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just, 
there's there's players that just they're subpar. They they really are subpar. Bo Horvat though has thirty goals, and that's why is it like is he trying to play to get out of town to a point where the Canucks can't afford him? Maybe it's the opposite. Like there's just there's something not right here, and it screams the players. It's weighing on the players. The players aren't playing as hard. They're how often do you guys get down three nothing in the first period? Ugh. Like quite regularly. Too, too often. They they aren't prepared to play. It's like they just don't care. And and then you know how many of Elias Pettersson's fifty four points come when they're down three nothing and he's scoring the the three one goal or the five two. You know how many of those points is he's got? You know two points and a five two loss. Like is the max effort there? I don't think that it is. And. Elias Pedersen has that many points because he's just that damn good. He's such a good hockey player yeah. that, you know, maybe he's, it, the max effort isn't there. Quinn Hughes is still got 42 points in 42 games. Is he playing at, at full potential? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, there's, from watching, there's something from, wrong. I've watched every game. I, I don't think I've missed one yet. Um, no, that's not true. I missed most of the, the Panthers game on my birthday, but Patterson and Hughes, those guys, Luke Shen, like those guys, that's just I'm looking at the list right here. Those are the guys that are given 100%. And you can see it on the ice with how they play. Like Quinn Hughes plays a lot of minutes and he's got 21 power play points, but he's still a plus five. He's a plus player on a shit team. Elias Patterson plays power play, plays penalty kill. Plays five on five. He has 19 five on five goals. He has 35 assists and he's plus eight. Like the guy's having a hell of a season. I, he's a complete 200 foot player. And he, when you see him go to the bench in a game and, and he throws a stick into the corner and sits on the bench because he's disappointed. Yeah, it's because he's given 110% every game and it's frustrating to him. Like I get it. Like, you know, and that's why I feel like the situation's wearing on them. Yeah, and even and, even Luke Shen's plus five, and that's a guy who's playing hard minutes in a shutdown type role. The guy's leading the league in hits. Like there are guys that like, like I'm surprised at some of these the stats of where they're at because it, it, they all should be minus players with how it's going. But they and I said some that guys right are carrying. It. I said this team has too much talent to be where they are in the standings. You've got four players on your team playing pretty much at a point of game pace. Like you've got four players that are going to finish with anywhere between 75 and hundred points. That's why I can't figure out how five, you can almost throw JT Miller into that. He's yeah. close to point of game pace. That's why I can't figure out why are they so bad? Cause it's, it's not a talent issue. It's not. Yeah, well, you're looking There's at it There's something like, bigger at play here. You know, uh, what's Spencer Martin, 877 save percentage, a 386 goals against. Colin Delia is 4-3, and three, but he's 318 and, and 897. Thatcher Demko is 393 and 883. And who knows if he was fully healthy all this season because that's those aren't Thatcher Demko numbers at all. And yeah. so you got to think there's something there was something wrong going into this season. Clearly, they've all had something mentally getting at them. Um, 
as I scroll down the scene, I'm seeing employment opportunities on the Canucks page, and I'm pretty sure GM just got filled, so I won't apply. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, but like you're looking at it, like you know, JT Miller's a minus 16. That's not good enough for what he's doing, especially with the point production he's putting up. Brock Besser's a minus 14. You know, even Ily Mikheyev's a plus three. Connor Garland's minus 10. OEL, minus 18. Even Tyler Miners is only minus two. Right? Like, there's holes that got to get fixed, and maybe Tockett's going to come in with some tough love and push him to play harder. And you might see more guys sitting in, a, in the press box as a healthy scratch. Bruce wasn't afraid to do that. Bruce, healthy scratched Kuzmenko one night, rightfully or wrongfully. He had a couple bad, you know, not so great games, and he sat in the press box. OEL, for the first time, I think, in his career, uh, sat in the press box one night. Um, Pod Colson and Hoglander, who were struggling, got sent to the minors. And you know what? They're doing really good in Abbotsford. They're getting their confidence back, which is great because maybe they come back and ride that confidence and are, and do better at the NHL level. But or maybe Pod Col- they're just good AHL players and not but- good NHL players. They were they were rushed. They they got the Oiler treatment and were rushed into the lineup. But again, Hoglander had a good rookie year. Pods had a good rookie year. But it's that you know they they weren't necessarily ready for that whole step, right? But both of them, I think, will be good NHLers. They'll be they'll fit in the lineup, but they needed time to develop in a different role. And whatever Carlton's doing in Abbotsford is working, but it's just. You're right. Like I, this team. When you look at the, the players, Patterson, Horvat, Hughes, Kuzmenko, Miller, Besser, you know, even throw you know Mikheyev and Garland in, into that. They've got good players. They should be doing. You're right. A hell of a lot better than they are. And I got to think this is all on management and how this whole season has been handled so far, as to why this team has just laid an egg. It's very disappointing. When the team goes down three, four goals, I don't get upset because I figure, well, at some point with about 30 minutes left, they're going to make a game of it or at least try. And then they'll give up an empty netter to completely end all hope. But they've had 13 come from behind wins. And they've also got about 38 blown leads, you know, games where they've blown a lead and lost too. So it's, it's a frustrating season as a fan. It, it is. It's it's a weird season in Vancouver. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I hope they have many more seasons like this to come. The, the sad thing is for the Vancouver Canucks, if they're getting 9-10 goaltending this year, they're in first place in the division. Oh, yeah. it, it's, they probably are. It, that's the sad thing. And I don't want to – I'm not trying to throw this at the feet of, you know, Demko and, and Martin and those guys. But if, if you're even getting league average goaltending, you know – 900 save percentage and 2.75 goals against average. This team actually is probably in a playoff spot. It's, but you know, the whole situation has got to be wearing on them as well, because it's wearing on the defense core. That's not good enough. Then you've got forwards underachieving. I, I love it. I love it. I love seeing the Vancouver Canucks in disarray for a team that was, we both thought we're going to be a good hockey team this year. I'm glad I was wrong, and I'm loving it. No, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm, I'm wrong on my team too, so yeah. I'm not loving that. But <laughs> well, we were wrong on Vegas, Seattle, and 
<laughs> we were wrong on every team. Yeah. <laughs> We've always said, if you want to place bets, go with against what we say. Well, Trevor, I mean, to end, to end this talk on somewhat of a, the Canucks did something right. They unveiled their third jerseys uh, last week and they listened to the fans finally and followed the hashtag free the skate. And they did bring back the skate jersey as their third and they've been wearing it for three games straight and it looks pretty good on ice despite the on ice product at least the jersey looks good it uh i was thoroughly happy to see that that version of the uniform come back gave me something to smile about uh uh was it uh wednesday thursday or wednesday friday saturday so well you can only strike out so many times in a season so it was about time that the vancouver canucks drew a walk yeah (laughs) (laughs) Probably, it was probably the easiest thing they could have done to to get the fans on their side for a little bit. Hopefully, the third jersey becomes the regular jersey next year because that's what that's what people actually want. I mean, maybe it'll get them to stop bitching about the color of the seats in Rogers Arena because that's a talking point online for uh, Canucks fans as well. Well, unfortunately, a uh, in a move that I I am not a fan of. We've gone from Bruce, there it is, to. Bruce, there he was. And I got to say, I don't like the, how it went down. I like Bruce Boudreau uh, as a coach, as a person. And before we go, I think one of the the best moments in Bruce's tenure as a Canuck may have come at the draft in Montreal when after he was on, I think it was Sportsnet 650 or something like that, talking about he's, how big of a wrestling fan he was, is, and said Kevin Owens is one of the best wrestlers there ever was, and he's a huge fan of him. Well, Kevin Owens was at the draft. Jackie Redman, who does NHL and WWE, um, I, I, I have to believe she set it up. They were doing an interview with Bruce Boudreaux, and Kevin Owens came down, and he was like a kid in a candy store. And it was just incredible. It was so cool to watch because you could just see what it meant to him and how much he loved it. So I think that was a... For a non-hockey moment with Bruce Boudreaux, you really got to see the human side of him. And at, uh, I actually, the, someone posted the video again just yesterday, and I had to. I watched it a few times. It was pretty, uh, pretty cool to watch. And I got to summarize this as an outsider's perspective: shame on the Vancouver Canucks for having to go down this way. It's not Absolutely. good enough. It's it's not professional, and you honestly look classless. I hope you learn from this because this. This wasn't good enough, and it is a significant black eye for your organization. And Bruce Boudreaux didn't get treated the way he should have for such a highly respected person in the hockey world. Shame on you, Vancouver. Yeah, I I, I agree. I as a Canucks fan, I hate it. It's just it's not good, not good at all. So as uh as as you hear online sometimes, Vancouver, you need to do better. We want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. Don't forget to check out bellyupsports.com. If you go to the podcast page, you will see all the logos of all the podcasts on the on the network. And if you want to listen to one of them, click that logo. It'll take you right to all their episodes. Don't forget to click our logo, the Bleacher Connection, and check out all of our episodes in one place. That's our show for this week. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone.